Proverbs 28, 27 says, giving to the poor will keep you from poverty. But if you close your eyes to their needs, everyone will curse you. Wow. God tells us over and over in his word, you need to be helping them. They're going to always be with us. I blessed you so you can help them. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rooted in Christ podcast. My name is Eric Stevens. I'm the founder of Redwood Christian Ministries. Hope everyone out there is doing well today. I am excited for this episode. With me, I have Linda Gunter with Love Him, Love Them. Linda, how are you doing today? I'm amazing. So excited to be able to talk with you and very excited to see what God has in store for us. I'm looking forward to this because I know I'm going to share this a little bit later on, but I know this was a divine appointment ordained by the Lord. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to do through this partnership and just through this episode. So I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to get right into it. So just tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from and where'd you grow up? A little bit about my background. Gosh, let's see. I'm 24, so I haven't been here that long. I grew up in Athens, Georgia, which let's just go ahead and get that out there. The home of the University of Georgia Bulldogs. Go dogs, <laughs> National champions. That That's a prophetic statement. There we- so grew up in Athens, been a Bulldog fan all my life. If you could see the other side of my room, you would see all of the coaches are actually painted on my wall. Went to the University of Georgia, graduated from FSU, because at that time, Georgia wasn't a number one team. So I just follow whoever's number one. I was a real estate entrepreneur. I ended up getting married to the hottest guy I know. And pretty much David and I were the Chip and Joanna Gaines before there was a Chip and Joanna Gaines. So we used to go around and flip houses. I see that show now. We just sit back and laugh and think, who knew? There weren't reality shows back then whenever we were doing it. But that's my father was the music director at our church. My mom played the piano. So I was in church every time the doors were open. I always got all of the solos that I wanted. It was a very interesting event when my mom and dad were fighting because my mom would play a different song than what my dad <laughs> Hold out from the pulpit. So that was always exciting. Yeah. And so now here I am. I've been married for, see if I'm 24, this is the new math. I think, I think David and I just figured up like 28, 30 years, something like that. So you could always tell when they were having intense fellowship, by the way, the worship. Never a dull moment. (laughs) She'd play louder. He'd sing harder. And it was always interesting. That's for sure. There we go. (laughs) I was raised, by the way, in a Baptist church. Okay. So that kind of plays out for a lot of where I'm at now in my life and how things have turned out. So you said you went to FSU? Graduated from Florida State in Tallahassee. Okay. I'm a, and I'm I will a... tell you, as if you're a parent and you're, you're considering sending your child to a college, I highly recommend that if there's any a college anywhere within an hour of a beach, that you don't do that. <laughs> Somehow every morning when I got up to go to class, my car ended up in Alligator Point and I was at the beach before my biology class. I'm not going to give anybody any advice about college because that is where I perfected a lot of my sin and bad habits. I have a whole another thought process around that in general, but being a fan of Deion Sanders and Javon Walker, when I hear Florida State, my ears start to ring. Yeah, so, Deion was there when I was there. Yeah. We used to hang out together. Dion is probably in my top five favorite athletes of all time. As soon as you say Florida State, I try to jump out of my seat, start doing his high step. So. Bobby Bowden. We, I was there during the big time days, the fun yeah. days. Yeah. And then Javon Walker later in his career ended up in the Denver Broncos. So I got some bias. I've got a I've got a, a tie to Florida State. Some of my favorite athletes went there. 
Now you said you went to, you said you grew up in a Baptist church. So were you were always around the faith? So you mm-hmm. were always a Christian. Were you always living for God? If you want to always a Christian, okay. <laughs> just because you stand in a garage yeah. doesn't make you a car. Just because you are always in church doesn't make you a Christian. Let's just make right. sure that's very clear up front. But I was in church all the time. I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every choir practice and did that all the way through college. I left college on spring break with the, with the Baptist student union. Went on a spring break trip to Myrtle Beach and ended up on the road with James Brown's half brother, wow. Little Royal and the Royal Showman. I went with the Baptist Student Union, came back, ended up in Nashville with an agent. And my dad, who was the music director at the church, and my mother, who was the a piano player, were not thrilled with that. And I literally spent the next three years of my life on the road, up and down the East Coast, in hotel bars and nightclubs. <laughs> As, as the female vocalist of James Brown's half-brother. Wow. Yeah. A little opposite. When I tell people this too, because that's I grew up going to Catholic school, so I had mass on Fridays, but I was going to a Baptist church, so I had that going on Sundays. <laughs> and by the time I got to college, I was like, I'm done with religion because I knew I willingly walked away, knew Jesus. I believe I had a relation with him. Like I'm willingly walking away because I didn't know what it was like to live for him fully in that moment. And that is where so many at the time of my regrets and biggest mistakes came from. Wow. I I don't think I knew. I don't even think I knew what it meant to do that. Uh, we just were in such a formula of Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Everybody in the church came to me whenever I went on the road with the band and basically told me I was going straight to hell and that was it. And had I not thought about how I was hurting my parents. It's just so interesting, though, how the Lord has set me up and equipped me through the real estate business for what I'm doing now. And then also through the being on the road with the band, with what I'm do- with what we just accomplished with our ministry. It's very interesting. And you can just see the whole plan laid out. When I came off the road, ended up getting married. And even then that was in Charlotte, North Carolina. At the, sa- the same week that I got married, I also lost my, lost my father. And so it was a very interesting time in my life. But still, I, we would do whatever we wanted to do on Saturday nights. I would drag my husband to church. I think I think there's a lot of guys that go to church because their wives want them to. And there's still no, no relationship with the Lord there. But I will tell you probably one of the most impactful moments of my life and what set the trajectory for our lives moving forward was in 2004. And in 2004, I got a phone call. And this was while we were, I didn't tell you this part, but we actually went into, we opened a homeless shelter, which is a story in and of its own. That's We have a movie coming out next year that's going to combine these two books. And I'm sure that's where it's going to start. We were literally working on one of our properties and a homeless person came up. That's a story for another day, but it's an Mm -hmm. unbelievable story. And again, it just fits right into where God has us. But one of my very best friends helped me with that, with that homeless shelter. And we basically ran women through. And because we had a bunch of rental property, we were able to provide them with homes. But in 2004, on October the 30th, I got a phone call that changed my life forever. And that was that my very best friend had been murdered. Her husband had killed not only her, but also her mother. And she had five kids. And those five kids in five minutes lost their mom, their dad, and their grandmother. Wow. And I had to really regroup 
with what I thought, what I felt, what who God was, and how things were going to move forward from there. If you know anything about our story or anybody in the Love Him, Love Them family understands that those children, I got a phone call from her father after they had fallen through the cracks here in Georgia and ended up in New York. And he basically said to me, <laughs> Linda, you are my last phone call. And if you, I've reached out these children, I didn't tell you this. My friend was Haitian. I didn't know she was Haitian. I thought she was just black. I didn't understand that there's black people that are from Haiti and that there's black people. I I didn't get all of that. I just, I didn't even see through that. But he said, I've reached out to everyone in Haiti. I've reached out to everyone in France and nobody wants five kids. And he said, so you're my last phone call. And if you don't take them, I'm going to have to split them up and put them in foster care because he had learned he was terminally ill. And my very godly, I was raised in church, right? So my very godly response, as I'm sure you can imagine, was, what would you say, Eric, if somebody called you today and asked you to take him five kids? I would probably sit in silence for a few minutes. (laughs) My brain. So I basically just said, look, dude, I'm really sorry, but you picked the wrong chick to make the last phone call to. I don't have any kids. I don't like kids. I do what I want, when I want, how I want. I don't need no school schedule rule in my life. And so I'm really sorry. You need to call somebody else. And my extremely godly husband who overheard the phone call very gently threw James 127 in my face. And he said, Linda, the Bible says real religion that God himself considers pure and faultless. But most people don't know what that is. When I, I, when I speak, sometimes I'll say who I'll give 500 bucks. If somebody can tell me what real religion as far in God's eyes is, it's not praying. It's not going to church not giving in the offering, but real religion is to care for the widows and the orphans who are in a hot mess. That's the my, the LIV version, <laughs> the Linda International version. And I basically responded back to my husband and said, I don't care. I'm not Jesus. And I'm not taking in five kids. That whole story is in our first book, Peanut Butter Crackers and Flip Flops. Uh, but suffice it to say this, on the 17th day of the seventh month of the year 2007, The family living in the house I'm sitting in right now went to the size of seven with children ages seven to 17. And it was the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. I got to live out every girl's dream and trade in my Jaguar for a minivan. (laughs) That's just right on top of things. We didn't, I can't tell you how ill-equipped we were. The kids can tell you how ill-equipped we were. We didn't even have a vehicle big enough at the time that we brought them into our home. We did have a home big enough, but there's another story in that too, because that was, if you'll recall, that was 2007. And as we all know, the world fell apart in 2008. So right after we decided to do this monumental thing, then our lives fell apart financially because we were in the real estate business and the real estate market went kaput. But suffice it to say this, after a few years, I ran our family like a business. I was an entrepreneur. I had several businesses and we ran it by family meetings (laughs) that were run by Robert's Rules of Order. And after several Christmases with those kids, I got to the point where I hated Christmas because all we did was sit around. It didn't matter where we went. If you have seven people, they each get two gifts. It takes forever to open gifts. And that seemed to be all we did was sit around and open gifts. So I decided that I didn't really think those kids were very grateful to me. And in 2011, I made a motion at our November family meeting. And I said, I make the motion that this year, nobody gets nothing for Christmas. And instead, we're going to take the money that we would normally spend on Christmas. And we're going to go to Haiti. Show you where your happy butts came from. (laughs) And where if I didn't rescue you, where your happy butts would be. That was my amazing attitude. And there's a long story with how that trip almost never happened. 
But we ended up in Haiti, Christmas 2011. And we found an orphanage with 17 girls in it. Everything revolves around sevens. If you know anything about the word of God, that's a an amazing story in and of itself. But Eric, when we went, something happened that I didn't expect. And that was that we went to an orphanage that wasn't on our plan, which if you don't know, this plan is a four-letter word. And God doesn't, I don't think he likes the way we plan things. I didn't even want to go to the place they'd asked us to go to, but the man who was taking us around said that, and this was also the year after the devastating earthquake in Haiti, the devastating earthquake. So I saw things I'd never seen before. <laughs> I smelled things I'd never smelled before. And on the way into this makeshift orphanage, we got off the back of a cow truck and we started to walk in and there's this pile of trash outside and there's a goat and a pig and two little boys. They're all going through that pile of trash with the same goal in mind. And that's, they were looking for food in this pile of trash. And that messed me up a little bit, but I went ahead and started to go up the steps and we went up about three flights of stairs and there was a river running through this building. Literally, it was still damaged from the earthquake. This is Christmas Day, 2011. We get to the top of the steps. There's no Christmas tree. There's 30 kids running around with no shoes on their feet, mismatched clothing, no ham on the table. There's nothing. And we, this was my very first experience with miracles. We open up our suitcase that we brought and there was a pair of shoes in there, the right size and the right gender for each child that was there. Wow. There was also toys in that suitcase that we had not placed in that suitcase. And we were the only people staying at the guest house. We sat there and we did what, and I'd never been on a mission trip before, but we sat there and we colored with them and sang songs. And I really was overwhelmed by the smell and the odor of what you would expect a place to be like that had 30 kids with no running water, no electricity. And I gave my husband that look and I was like, let's go. And he, <laughs> my husband is like, we're not going. He says, before we go, we want to sit down and talk to this guy and find out how we can help him. And I'm like, whatever. So we sit down at this table and we have an interpreter and the interpreter, my husband says, my wife and I want to help you. What is your greatest need? How can we help you? And the man answers back. Now we're speaking English. We have a translator. He's speaking Creole. I don't know what he's saying. He doesn't know what we're saying. And he answers back to the interpreter. And the interpreter says, oh, you just met his greatest need. And I'm like, David, you see, we even have a jacked up interpreter. I can look around this place and see what the guy needs. Obviously, he doesn't know what he's, we're talking about. Let's just go. <laughs> and the man says, my wife and I have been praying for three months for somebody to bring our kids shoes. And you just did. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I don't know if you've ever felt the Holy Spirit inside of you before where he just is messing with you, but I could feel it. And I did not like it. And I started to put I pushed my chair back from the table and I was like, David, let's go. And the man stuck his hand across the table in my face and he pointed at me and he says, Mommy, Linda, before you go, I want for my kids to sing for you. Now, I'm a pretty bold chick. But I could not figure out how to say, I don't want your little orphan kids singing for me on Christmas Day. This place stinks. I'm out of here. It's like I couldn't say it. So I walked over and I sat down on a urine-stained daybed. And they handed me my jean. She was the youngest girl that somebody actually just dropped her off the night before. She was four months old. They gave her to me. And all these other kids came and stood in front of me. 
It was like generators went on, instruments came out, drummers, musicians. They sang for me on Christmas Day. This little light of mine, they sang it in five different languages. And they had a joy that I could not wrap my mind around. I was like, what is wrong with them? They Do they not understand? I, I almost felt like I needed to go shake them and say, you don't have any electricity. You don't have anything to eat. What in the world are you so happy about? What's wrong with you? I felt like Jesus Christ himself came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Linda, <laughs> this is the joy of the Lord. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter what material things you have or you don't have, you can still have the joy of the Lord. But Linda, honey, you ain't got it. <laughs> you don't have it. Your joy comes from when everything goes the way you want it to, how you want it to, when your husband does exactly what you want, when you want, when these kids keep their rooms clean. You just don't have it. And I walked out of that orphanage that day, a completely different person. And I told the guy that brought us there, I said, I ought to bring those kids to the United States. I said, you're probably not going to believe this, but everybody I know in the United States, they have everything they need. Most of my friends have everything they want, but they're not happy. They're always complaining. And he looks back at me with his thick Haitian accent and he says, oh, mommy, Linda, every American I bring here, they say the same thing. They all think they should go to America. He said, but nobody ever does anything about it. So we came back home and at our January family meeting, I asked my kids, I said, what was that deal with Haiti? Was that just a one-time thing or what are we going to do about that? And my youngest daughter at the time, she said, mommy, Linda, they're counting on us. You have to go back. And so basically we just, each kid started doing whatever. One of them sold cake pops. We took over the concession stand at our local state park. We made bracelets. We did whatever we could do. And we went back the next Christmas. We went back to that orphanage. And I told the kids the plan that I wanted, what I wanted to do. And they were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. The next year I reached out to every organization, every major organization that had any kind of a footprint in Haiti. And there are a ton of people raising money for Haiti. Let me just say that. <laughs> I don't know where it's going, but they're raising the money. And I shared with them my vision and my dream. And everybody said, listen, lady, I don't know who you are or what you're trying to do or whose money you're spending, which at that time it was mine and my husband's. They said, but if you think the Haitian government is going to work together with the United States government for you to bring an entire orphanage from Haiti to America, you're an idiot. That's <laughs> what they told me. <laughs> and so I went back the next year and I sat the kids down and I said, listen, all I know to do is, I said, there's a verse in the Bible that says that God loves orphans. I said, I don't know how to do this. I've never had a choir. I don't have a bus. I don't know what I'm doing. I said, I just think you guys need to pray about it. Because unlike today, back in 2014, 15, 16, to come to America from a foreign country, you had to have a visa. And before you could get a visa, you had to have a passport. And before you could get a passport, you had to have a birth certificate. And before you could get a birth certificate, you had to know when your birthday was. If, I'm sure you know when your birthday is. <laughs> but if you're the only child in your family that is pulled out from underneath the rubble of an earthquake, and the entire country and administration goes kaput 
you can't just run down to the courthouse. And we did that's the level we started at with this project. We didn't know when their birthdays were. And yet in 2016, those same 30 kids stepped on a Delta flight with me. They came to America and we sang from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, all the way up to the White House. We had $120 in our bank account when they arrived. I had no idea what I was doing. I couldn't even get a bus driver. The spiritual warfare that we fought, I didn't even understand what it was at that time. We had eight buses break down on the way to the airport to pick us up, (laughs) including a trailer with all of our instruments on it where both tires went flat. It was an unbelievable situation from the beginning to the end. But those kids did three choir tours. They came from 2016, 2017, 2018. There they are at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia, singing on the field for the Atlanta Falcons. They also sang for the uh, United Soccer Team. This is the book that is out about the experiences that happened on that tour. And Eric, when they went back today, we have six locations in the country of Haiti. We have orphanages, schools, vocational schools. And in 2020, when the entire world was shutting down, we opened a hospital in the middle of nowhere in the country of Haiti. A hospital that effective as of today, we are the only hospital in the country that is accepting overnight patients because of the cholera that is broken out right now. But here's probably the most miraculous part of the story. Twenty-two of those 30 children had the opportunity to stay here in the United States of America. They are here on student visas Hmm. up and down the East coast. You just met two of them this morning and they're in school and their goal is to, and they're the top kids in their class and English is their third language. They speak French, they speak Creole, and then they speak English. And their goal is to either become a success here in America where they can continue to help the ministry in Haiti, or they want to go back to Haiti to be able to help. That's the story of my life completely changing. Thank you for really sharing the part about, I thank you for sharing all of it, but especially the piece about how God had to chisel some things away from your heart, because (laughs) I think a lot of people are, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm clearing my voice in the microphone. I think a lot of people are hesitant to talk about the ugly of their testimony when really that's the piece we cannot leave that out because I think people need to hear that. I think people need to hear, oh, this is where I was. And then Jesus, (laughs) or this is even where I was with Jesus. And this is the work that he started to do in me because this is where my heart condition was, or this is where my heart condition, this is what my heart looked like at this point. And look at what he birthed out of that. And this right. is so that- selfish, so selfish. Everything was about me. That was and just unbelievable. And then, oh my gosh, what happened? Now, I don't know if you know anything about the country of Haiti. I didn't even know where it was, but just FYI, you go to Florida and you keep swimming and <laughs> you end up in, in the Caribbean. But you know, the main religion in Haiti, do you know what it is? No, I don't. Voodoo. Huh. So if you don't know anything about voodoo, which Mommy Linda went to the Baptist church, they did not teach us about voodoo. (laughs) And even though there was Acts, I'm pretty sure the book of Acts was in my Bible when I went to the Baptist church, (laughs) but 
I never read the part about casting out demons or raising the dead or healing the sick. I didn't know any of that part. And yet now I'm traveling up and down the East Coast. I was actually the bus driver. We could never find anybody to drive the bus. And I was the speaker every night. So that was an interesting combination. But I'm traveling with 30 kids, four of whom had been raised up to be voodoo princesses uh, by the people that were raising them before they, they lost the earthquake. And some of whom we were dealing with all of the new witchcraft and astro projecting and demonic manifestations for a little girl from a Baptist church. I just kept taking them to neurologists. So, like, so God has now placed me in a position where I don't know if you know this or not, but you can't medicate a spiritual problem. You can medicate it, but you don't get any results. And so the book that we have out right now, Choir of Angels, talks about my, we masked the title, but it talks about my experience of walking through and understanding the demonic realm and that we do have the power to cast out demons. We do have the power to heal the sick to the point that now, as of today, I have a, a television show called Miracles with Mommy Linda. We have so many miraculous things that are happening because it all depends on what you believe, what your fa- where your faith is. So yeah, God took a little Georgia girl, a little George Peach, a little Southern Baptist Georgia Peach, <laughs> and opened up the Word of God to me in a way that, because I'm going to be very honest with you, in the circles that I traveled in, you couldn't call a girlfriend and say, hey, can you meet me at Starbucks? Because I want to talk to you about casting out a demon. I've got <laughs> Right. <laughs> with- you or I've taken these kids to, I'll tell you a quick experience. We were at Mother Emanuel. I don't know if you're familiar with that church. It's in Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. And that's where Dylan Roof came in and shot up and killed the entire staff several, about four years before we came there. And we walked into there and we had this huge demonic manifestation at the end of the of the service, which had never happened in public before. And literally 911 got called. And that is a huge mm-hmm. church. It's a huge congregation. The pastor was talking about family and uniting at the end after the choir sang and unbelievable experience. And literally we're sitting here watching a kid flip and flop all over the floor with who is demon possessed, oppressed. And the pastor and his wife sat me down afterwards. And I said, how do you apologize for that? (laughs) You come into the church to sing. And he sat me down and he said, Linda, I cannot thank you enough. He said, I have been preaching and preaching to this church about what spiritual warfare is. He said, and you just gave us a visual explanation of it. The altar was full. The But we had so many people in that particular experience that were threatening me and telling me that if I didn't get the kids to neurologists, if I didn't get them medical help, if I didn't, which is the initial response that we have. It's You're also bringing confirmation to a number of things that I'm doing with the outreach ministry at New Life Church. We are the entire ministry has been flipped to make sure we are one soul winning focused, mm-hmm. but number two, we are not, we are along with the soul winning adding and it's not even adding because it's a part of it is teaching about healing and deliverance and all of these things, because it is, I had a guest on my show on Halloween talking mm-hmm. about Healing, deliverance, casting out demons, demonic oppression, possession, all of these things. Better teach it because if we don't, the kids are looking for the supernatural any way they can. 
So now you've got people going into new age religion. You've got people with crystals. You've got people doing yoga. You've got people doing all of this stuff because there are, we were made to crave Jesus Christ. And if we don't crave Jesus Christ and fill him, fill ourselves up with him, we're going to crave something. <clears throat> that supernatural is something that our kids are, not only are they are seeking it, they're watching it everywhere. I just did a show on Hocus Pocus. I just did a show on the new movie, the new television series out called Little Demon. Come on. Nobody's even masking it anymore. And so with if our children and adults, for that matter, don't have some sort of a foundation in what, I mean, and the sad part about it, Eric, is it's all right here right. in the Bible. But for some reason, the same way I, when I started reading Acts and looked at that and thought, oh my gosh, I've read Acts a million times before. How have I never seen this? How have I not understood that we do have that power through the Holy Spirit? It's so everything in my life has panned out and happened. Let me give you another example that with the real estate. So we have orphanages. Once you're 18, you can't stay in the orphanage anymore. So you go to the transition home. Once you come to the transition home, we have a vocational school there. So we can make sure you have a vocation. <laughs> I employ all of my girls because in Haiti, as in other countries, there can be sexual favors that are required if you work out, if you work in certain places. So we make sure they're all employed through us. So we can employ them through the hospital. We can employ them through the school. We can employ several different businesses. We have a beauty for ashes jewelry line where we mm. make jewelry out of trash. They can work for us in that. But here's the cool part. Then we bought land to build a hundred houses on for our neighborhood. So we're doing the same thing we were doing with our homeless shelter. We're running them through, giving them Jesus, giving them jobs, and then able to provide them a home. And that's what we're doing now. So these girls literally can go through. And once they come out of the transition home, they can either rent or purchase a home in the neighborhood. So God, and the same thing with the band. When I was on the road with the band, literally I was living the life that I didn't know that 10, 15, 20 years later, I was going to be living with 30 kids. So it's just interesting how God sprinkles throughout your life. And the verse says, I'm not going to ever put you in a situation that I don't equip you for. And he certainly did that in an interesting way, but he equipped me. It amazes me how much God really is in the details when you make the decision to, okay, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. I'm going to stray away. I'm going to party here. I'm going to drink this. I'm going to take this. I'm going to do it. And then all of a sudden, all of those things you did, you realize X, Y, Z amount of years later, I'm using this testimony to tell someone else, look, I already did this. You don't have to. This was the right. outcome of my life when this happened. I thought I wanted control. I was in control. And it was end up being some of the worst decisions I ever made. But then God worked all things together for the good of those who love him. And then the power through the testimony helps set someone else free. Yeah. That's I just why. got to have yeah. that conversation yesterday. We also work here in the United States. So we do a, a night of hope. Obviously, I raised five children who had a parent incarcerated. And so we we do a big night of hope. We helped over 80 different families this year. We have a big party. We present the gospel. We provide them with Christmas. We had a bunch of NFL football players there. Real Housewives of Atlanta came, a lot of celebrities. But then the follow-up for that is we find out what do you need to make this child's life a success? We speak with the Guardian family to find out what they need. We also do a huge Thanksgiving event. We fed 5,000 people this year, homeless and homebound throughout the state of Georgia and South Carolina. So one of the families that was at the Night of Hope, they're, <laughs> when it rains, it pours. They were burned out of their home, but they were sitting at my kitchen table upstairs yesterday and we were sitting and talking through that. And the guy's been in prison three times. He's been addicted to drugs. And I got to sit there and exactly like you say, just sit there and have that conversation. 
And the he and his wife both sat there and said, I just don't understand how you're able to put Jesus in everything. And I was like, because he is the center. So you're right. We're able to use our testimonies. And that's why God gives us those testimonies. But when you're in the middle of a situation, you want to talk to somebody who's already walked that path and who's come on the other side of it. My dad passed away. When he passed away, I didn't want anybody coming to talk to me who still had their daddy. I wanted some, when you're in the middle of a, my husband and I also do a marriage counseling because our marriage needed counseling. So when you're, you want someone who's walked that path and who has overcome it. So you're exactly right. You can't take somebody to a place you've never been to. Exactly. So if I'm going to tell you, okay, we need to cross the street, but I've never crossed that street. I may not tell you to look both ways and then look again. Yeah, I'll wait you for know. somebody else who's already gone. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm going to wait for Appreciate somebody it. who told me to also look to see the traffic light is red or green. There's some of these details that matter, those kind of things. So that was actually going to be one of my questions was how, what is the role of love him, love them look like in the United States? That was going to be one of the things. And how can people get involved to help support what you're doing? Yeah. So our website is lovehimlovethem.org, which if you don't know anything about the Bible and you're still on here with us, which is amazing, I hope you stay. That is the Bible in one sentence. So if you don't know what the word of God says, the word of God says we're supposed to love him so we can love them. And here's a newsflash for you. God will continue to put thems in your life that irritate the snot out of you until you get that that if you just love him, he will give you the power to love them. So here in the United States, we do help children whose families who have a parent incarcerated. We also help homeless and homebound because that's where we started off with our homeless shelter in Atlanta. And then we do a lot with special needs adults. So we do Christmas cookie decorating with special needs adults. We're doing a big Valentine's dance on February the 10th for special needs adults right here in our community. And we also help out. I get calls all the time. I just had another call yesterday from another family who's been burned out of their home. And so when children are involved, that's whenever we step in. So you, we had probably over 500 volunteers just in our last two events for Thanksgiving and Christmas. But we also do events here. We And up until last year when the president was assassinated in the country of Haiti, we had mission trips two every month. I spent the majority of my life in the country of Haiti, but right now we're dealing with civil unrest and we have to be safe. And so we're not taking teams down at this point. However, there are still ways here in America that you can also help in Haiti. We do Christmas joy bags. And so you take a gallon bag, fill it up for little girls, little boys, big girls, big boys. And that's how we provide Christmas for our families in Haiti. We also just the Saturday after Thanksgiving, packed 25,000 meals of rice and beans. I think we had 300 volunteers that did that project with us. And that's actually the food that we feed our children in our orphanages and schools in Haiti. So there's lots and lots of ways that you can either come and become involved with us here in the state of Georgia, or if you're a mom, everything I do, everything. That Thanksgiving meal where we fed 5,000, Eric, the reason we do that is the first year I had my kids, I cooked for five days. They sat down and ate Thanksgiving in five minutes and I was a hot mess. They all got up and left and I was like, oh no, oh no. So I got some to-go plates, put all the leftovers in to-go plates. We ended up with 11 to-go plates, got everybody in that hot minivan and we drove around our community until I could find, until we could find families that we were, it was obvious they were not celebrating a traditional Thanksgiving. And we went in and we sat down and we gave them meals. People tried to pay us for them that first year. It was so interesting. And so we went from 15 years ago for 11 meals all the way up. We just kept doubling every year. 
Until this year, we do 5,000. And in addition to that, we also take pet food. We found that most homeless people also have animals. We take laundry detergent. We take blankets. We personally interview each one of those people and take them whatever they need. So we're, we've got a lot of stuff going on here in the United States also. We also have a YouTube channel, Love Him, Love Them, that has a lot of our information on it. And we're all over social media the same way. Love Him, Love Them. Um, we One thing, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, we're going to be sharing all of your links and how people can get involved, get a hold of you. It'll be whether it be in the comment section or if it's or if you're watching the podcast or listening to it on Spotify, it'll also be in the information section there as well. And we'll be sharing some of this on our Redwood Instagram and Facebook page also. Yeah. Thank you for that. How Now, I really want to dive into actual like mission field piece of this too, because some people listening may have never gone on a mission trip, may not know what to expect. And I figure since I have an expert here, I might as well just pick your brain while I have you. So sure. what has it been like working with the government of Haiti? Like how no, I don't work. I don't work with the government. Of Haiti. Okay. I didn't no, know that. You had be, that's for lack of a, <laughs> I ain't trying to get myself in trouble, but it'd be like working with the government in America. Got Did it. I say that out loud? Okay. No, you didn't. We can always edit. Yeah. It's the gut. There is no government in Haiti. It's corrupt. It's when I get off the plane in Haiti, I have immigration officers coming up to me asking me to take their kids. Can you please get my kid back to America? I have government officials that are reaching out to me for help. They, there's, I don't work with the government. Now we have to do certain things. Like right now, I've got two containers of food that are stuck in the port. The Catholic ministry sent over some containers with guns in them. Because that's our issue right now is all of the gangs have AK-47s. They're standing outside of our orphanages, running around our, coming in, threatening our doctors, our nurses. That That's a big issue. So people are trying to get guns in any way they can. So there's, you have to deal with a certain part of the government there in the port with customs and immigration. But again, that's corrupt too. So it's all about how many bribes you're willing. Even the gangs, the gangs kidnapped our ambulance. Here's wow. a great story. We have a 24 hour prayer team. And we always have some in, in, insane things to pray about. Even just last night, I had a call. Uh, we have 30 patients in our hospital right now who have cholera because the, there was for six months, there was no fuel, no water, no nothing. And so everybody's starting to drink whatever water they can find. So we've got patients. This is the way the government works in Haiti. So for you to, the government has the medication for the cholera. Okay. It's curable. It's treatable. <laughs> As a hospital, until you can report, for four to six months that you are accepting cholera patients, they won't give you the medicine. Okay. I was watching so, your video on this when you posted it. I saw it when you were talking about this because you said yeah, you had people so, out back because it was overflowing in the hospital. Yeah, we're having to put them out. Where, yeah. So anyways, but here's the thing that you don't know because we didn't know this part in the video yeah. at that point. So after I hung up with Haiti, I was like, okay, Lord. You know how I can get this dang cholera medicine. I don't even know how to say the word, but what is it? Show me what to do. And he reminded me of a story that's in our first book when we had a sick boy in, a, in another, before we opened our hospital in Haiti. And he was like, you need to call, you need to call this individual. So I reached out to this individual and now it, that medicine's now on the black market, right? So you can find it, but if you find it, you got to pay an arm and a leg for it. I texted one person. She texted me back in five minutes and said, I've got 10 cases of it. It's all yours. Come by in the morning and pick it up, those, wow. which is exactly what we needed for those 30 patients. Wow. So we saved 30 lives. We saved 30 lives because we listened to the Holy Spirit. That's the big deal. You got to be quick to obey, even if you don't fully understand. 
So I was quick to obey and reached out to Stacy. But the same way with, and prayer, it's all about prayer. That ambulance, this was whenever the gangs first took over. They stopped our ambulance in the line of about six vehicles, pulled out all the drivers, shot and killed them, threw them in the, the banks, and then took the vehicles. Wow. We knew that our ambulance was trying to make it back out to the hospital. So we had our prayer team praying. <laughs> our driver of our ambulance was Eddie that day. And when the gang member came up with the gun to shoot him, their eyes met and the gang member realized he had gone to school with Eddie. Wow. And so he pulled Eddie out and he said, dude, I'm not going to kill you. Just go and act like you're dead in the ditch. <laughs> so Eddie is still with us today. He's in our security. We have story after story, but the government, we don't work with the government. Okay. And how do you prepare for Missions trips. So you're getting ready to head over to Haiti. How do you normally prepare for that? Up until now, before it was a blast, right? So we have a we borrow a book from somebody that's I can't remember who wrote it, but it's called Before You Go. It's a 40 day devotion, and so everybody on the team before they go, we make them do that devotion, and it basically teaches them etiquette on how to not act like a jerk when you're in Haiti. Now, I will tell you this: I always thought that the only people who went on mission trips were Christians, because why else are you going to go? But what I learned is that's not true. <laughs> a lot of people that go on mission trips go because they want to do something good and it makes them feel good. And they feel like me the first time I went, I'm going to wear these kids out. They're going to come back and be more grateful to me. And then God was like, please let me get a hold of your happy butt because you are so <laughs> wrong, Linda. And that's what we see happen on mission trips. But the way we prepare depends. We do all kinds of mission trips. We do medical mission trips. We do security mission trips. We do teachers teaching teachers how to teach mission trips. We do Christmas mission trips where we deliver those joy bags. So we do construction mission trips, which we don't do a lot of those anymore, because I'm going to give you a big hint on this. Most countries don't like you coming and building stuff because you build it completely different than they build it. And they don't like you telling them that the way you're building it. I've literally seen Haitians tear down stuff that Americans come in and build. So we, we've learned not to do that. But we so it depends on the type of trip. Right. So if you've got a bunch of medical staff going, you usually spend those three months ahead of time making sure that you have all the supplies that you need and what you're going to take down. And you do your best to try to prepare that team. We usually have another leader. I have a bunch of interns up until Haiti went crazy with guns. We had probably five interns in Haiti living there, some in the orphanages, some in our guest house, some in our uh, different locations. But I loved it. If my husband died tomorrow, I would go live in Haiti. I guess I'd have to do something with the kids, but <laughs> I would stay there full time because it opens your eyes. You, We're so deceived in America and we're so comfortable you know, th that's why you don't see voodoo priests running around astro projecting or turning people into wolves or you don't see that level of demonic activity here because Satan doesn't have to operate that way. He's just got us so deceived. Mm. When you see that in Haiti, you realize how unbelievable, grateful, unbelievably grateful we should be. The average salary of a person in Haiti is two bucks a day. Wow. We're paying our girls that are working for us like five to 10 times the, the salary. It's, we just, and I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you one more quick thing too it, that bothers me. 
everything bothers me. But you know what? If something bothers you and you're listening, you need to realize the reason it bothers you is because God has put something inside of you. You need to do something about it. It bothered me that day I saw those kids going through that trash with those goat and that pig. I ended up doing something about it. Stuff that bothers you may not bother somebody else, but it bothers you for a reason. But one, and I don't know how to fix this problem, but it does bother me when I'm out with girlfriends in America that let's say their coffee or their latte comes to the table wrong. (laughs) Or maybe their waitress brings them the wrong salad dressing. First world problems. For people that get irritated with first world problems, I really just want, I wish then I could astral project and take them to Haiti for just to let them see one scene of what third world countries are dealing with, because we just don't have a clue. Sometimes when you wake up in the morning, you don't even think about the fact that, because we don't even know what it's like to not have soap or not have a toothbrush. And it's one of those things I talk to people about. You can never forget what God has brought you from or delivered you from or set you free from and where you were because there's somebody either in that situation or worse off. We should be, especially sitting here in America, we should be waking up with a spirit of Thanksgiving, even for the clothes on our backs, just having clean water, just being able to just speak freely, all those things that we take for granted on a consistent basis that other people just they are literally dying. They would be dying to have. You just said, all right, so today is December 28th. You already told everybody that. And I read Proverbs 28 and then five verses in Psalms. Every Proverbs 28, 27 says, giving to the poor will keep you from poverty. But if you close your eyes to their needs, everyone will curse you. Wow. God tells us over and over in his word, you need to be helping them. They're going to always be with us. I blessed you so you can help them. It ends up blessing you. The mission of Redwood is to inspire followers of Jesus who then inspire others to follow Jesus. But our vision is be the church because I tell people, I love the local church and I'm talking the physical, like I love the sermons. I love putting my hands up and worshiping God. I love whether I'm changing diapers, whether I'm cleaning up the bill. Like I love the physical building, but I also love taking the church to the streets. And I love that. I love being out and being the church, but that is putting love in action. It's not always going to be convenient. God was speaking very clear to me. The vision is to get out and be the church. You better better get out and be the church because if we didn't learn anything through COVID, that was a test run for us. The church shut down. The churches shut down. And and you talk too much about Jesus on Facebook and you're not going to be live streaming your church on Facebook anymore either. So if you can't figure out how to get back, here we are back in Acts again to the Church of Acts, which is in homes. And that's the way we start all of our churches in Haiti. We start them in a home. We get home groups going, make sure that we have the body of Christ around each other to hold each other accountable. But we better figure out how to do church in the community, because it would not surprise me if in a couple of years, it's not in a couple of years, it just happened. We just watched churches go kerplunk. And now and I'm in a different church every Sunday speaking in a different place. And there are many congregations that have yet to resurface with their congregations since since they were shut down through COVID. So we need to know how to be the church with each other. We need to know how to be the church with the lost. We need to know how to just did a, a show on, what was it, transgender. And we need to know how to treat the lost as Christians. I firmly believe the reason that most people don't go to church is because they've been to one. 
And I also think that the reason that most people don't want to be a Christian is because they've met somebody who says they are a Christian, but is not living the Christ life life, like life. And I used to own a day spa before I got my kids and a very vain name, but it was Linda's Day Spa. And our t-shirts said that, our uniform said that. And I can remember telling the girls and the hairstylists and the (coughs) girls that work the front, if you're going to go do something when you leave here that is going to hurt our reputation, take the dang shirt off. I don't want anybody to know that Linda's Day Spa people are out doing this, that, and the other. And I often hear that voice in my head of Jesus, which is the verse in Revelation, either be hot for me or be cold for me, but don't be in the middle because you just make me want to vomit you out of my mouth when you're lukewarm. And so when we go around telling everybody that we're a Christian, but we're not acting like Christ, it's like a bad advertisement, right? When we're not acting like the church, when the church is not stepping up to help, it's a bad ad. I had, I was listening to a sermon last night and the gentleman, he was preaching, he said something, he said, do the people know, do the people around you know that you're a Christian without you having to even tell them? Do you stand? And I literally sat there and I, this is only by the grace of God. I honestly sat here and I said, you know what? I'm going to take some real self inventory, but I'm grateful that God moved on my heart to live for him before I had any real understanding of church of what right. it meant to really live and serve Jesus. I'm very grateful that he, that he put that in my life because going out and living for him and showing others how to live for him is probably one of the biggest blessings of my Christian walk. Explain to you about the Choir of Angels book, how it taught me so much and how much I had to investigate. But I don't know if you're aware of this or not. The third fastest growing church in America is the Church of Satan. Do you know that? Somebody, yeah, we actually, I, th- I think that came up on that Halloween episode that we had as well. If not, her and I had that conversation afterwards. It's blurring together right now. But yeah. here's the deal. Do you know that part of advancing in the church of Satan is to join a church, a Christian church? And the higher up that you can become in that church, let's say you go ahead and you get baptized, you fake that. Or if you can get on the finance committee, or if you can get on the board, it really helps explain some of the division in our churches today and why people are <laughs> first United Methodist Church, the second United Methodist Church, right. third. What a joke. And how those even I was in a Presbyterian church a couple of weeks ago, and now they're splitting off You to who can have a gay pastor, who cannot. Actually, in the Methodist church, too, they just made that. Yeah. So we're taking the same Bible and we're dividing ourselves in these churches and not living out the word. Satan is very strategic. And it's and as elementary as it sounds, this is what we have to pray and be in our word daily. It's called daily bread for a reason. And you you actually said something that I tell every young Christian or everyone I'm discipling when they're like, how should I read the Bible? I'm going to tell you, I tell them all the time read a proverb a day. And I said, if you want to extend past that, then read five Psalms along with that proverb. You'll gain wisdom and you'll learn how to worship. You yeah, will- my daddy taught me that. He was like, Linda, when you don't know where to go, just look whatever day it is. And now I've taken that one step further. And then I, and my husband says, that's a silly, that's, I don't know why you do it that way. And But I'll even go back, like today was the 28th. So I went in every book of the Bible that has a 28th chapter, I'll read it because it gives me a little splash of this, a little splash of this, a little splash of that. Of course, my husband said the same thing when I came home from Haiti and told him I was opening a hospital too. He's like, you're not a doctor? <laughs> you're not a nurse? What are you doing? And now when we've got the hospital, we're saving lives. He's he t- he's so funny. He tells people now, if she says we're doing it, we're probably going to do it. 
sometimes you just got to step out in obedience. Just like, all right, God, I'm just going to do what you told me to do. And we're going to see how this goes. But not I trust sometimes <laughs> I believe all the time. That's right. I believe I really firmly believe. And I think I'm going to put I've got a new book coming out. We're finalizing it now. It's going to be a devotion. It's called Miracles with Mommy Linda to go along with the television show. But I want to get that tagline in there somehow. We've got to be quick to obey even when we don't fully understand. Because if you wait, if I had waited and said, oh, I need to go get a degree in nursing or I need to, let me just tell you that story real quick. I was in Haiti and a tap, which is a motorbike, was coming down the mountain and had a lady in labor on the back. So here he is on the motorcycle. He saw our location in the valley and pulled in. But at that time, we only had a church and a, a school, the K through 13 school. But he thought because he saw buildings that there would be medical care. So he pulls in and all we have there are teachers and we lost the baby and we lost the mother. And I lost my mind. Mm. And I turned to the head of our ministry at that time. And I said, listen, we're open in a hospital. And he starts crying and he hands me, I know you probably never made any deal on any cocktail napkins, but he handed out, <laughs> he pulls out a napkin and he's out of his pocket. He said, Linda, I've had this for 10 years. He said, I've never told anyone or shared this with anybody. He said, but that's my vision for right there is to open a medical facility right there. He said, and I just told God that when the time was right, he would send somebody that would help me do that. So that's when I came home, told my husband, oh, we're opening a hospital, blah, blah, blah. So then in the middle of the global pandemic was when we opened it. It was August of 2020. That was the grand opening. Flights were canceled. Airports were closed the whole nine yards. And I was like, I'll be darned if I'm not going for that opening. <laughs> if I have to wear a mask, if I have to wear whatever. I don't know anybody else that has an opportunity to open a hospital. So I go to Haiti and the very first day, because of COVID, we had to scale back. So we just opened. We said we were going to open from eight to four every day. At 2.30 on the very first day we're open, this chick comes waddling in. And Pastor Mike So walks over to me and he says, oh, Mommy Linda, I think today we're going to have a baby at the hospital. <laughs> and I was, and so they bring this lady in. I've never had a child. I never wanted any kids. I've got 12 children, but I've never had a baby. They put the woman in the room with me. Linda, you can stay with her. You can wait with her. I was like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what's going on. And I sit there and I told the doctor, I was like, we close at four. What are we going to do? He was like, we're not closing at four today. And sure enough, that baby was born on the very first day we were open. I literally felt like it was God himself saying, you might have lost that other lady and that other baby. But this is because I just want to show you this is exactly what I wanted you to do. So I go on social media that night and I'm like, we have nothing for a baby at the hospital. We weren't planning on being open for babies. We were just going to be a medical facility. And sure enough, we had a basket. One of everything came in. We got one baby crib, one everything came in. And do you know, Eric, the next day I went back to the hospital and we had twins born. I was like, Lord, you've got to be kidding me. We finally got equipped with one of everything. And now, and in the first week that we were open, we had 27 babies born wow. in that hospital. God is just, sometimes we, when we're not quick to obey, I just can't imagine all of the other things I've missed out on because I tried to calculate it or I tried to figure it out. I mean, I've been in business. I've done real estate. I've run multiple businesses and I do know how to do spreadsheets. But in ministry, you better take those bad boys and throw them away because God's math is, it does not work the same way. He wants wow. us operating out of faith. He wants us stepping out when it doesn't make any sense because that's the only way he can get the glory. If we can figure it out and show our spreadsheets and our business plans, he's not in it. 
It's funny. I was talking to one of my friends at the gym last night, and we were talking about this podcast, actually. And I told him, I said, I didn't go to school for communications and journalism. God told me to start a podcast, and that's just what happened. <laughs> that is the short version of that story, besides the divine appointments to confirm equipment that I had to buy and guests that would be lined up because there's testimonies behind almost every guest who's been on this show awesome. so far. A lot of them have been 100%. Like, God has said, I need you to do this. And then all of a sudden there'll be a guest on the podcast. It's literally talking about the very thing he told me to do, which is crazy to me, which is absolutely crazy to me. And I don't know why I'm surprised like every time it happens, but sometimes it just blows my mind. Maybe it's because it keeps happening. <laughs> I don't know. We had a, took a smaller choir on tour after we got all the kids placed. And this one instance just comes up to me. At the end of speaking and the kids singing, I said, if anybody needs healing, I want you to come forward. We want to pray for you. And so this lady came forward and she said she couldn't see out of her right eye. And I said, okay, great. Let me pray for you. And then I prayed and I was like, okay, now look, can you see? And she was like, no. And I had so many people standing in line. So <laughs> I called one of the girls over and I said, Belinda, I said, she can't see out of her right eye. I said, I'm going to go get some oil out of my purse. You go ahead and pray for her. And I was helping other people in line. <laughs> But, and I said, make sure you ask her after you pray if she can see, so you know if you need to pray again. So Belinda prays for, her and the lady goes, oh, I can see. And Belinda go, Belinda's, I think at that time she was nineteen. She goes, Are you serious? <laughs> you really can see? Are you really serious? And I was like, And it's the same thing. It's here we sit and we pray, we ask God to heal. He heals, and then we lose our mind thinking. How in the world did that happen? I know God must be, It's. I think it's the same way with parents. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. If my kids would just do what I tell them to do, when I tell them to do it, how I tell them to do it, their lives will be so much easier and so much better. And as soon as I get those words out of my mouth, I hear, I can hear God going, really feel the same way with you, Linda. <laughs> That's why, like, when, again, this goes back to the discipleship piece. When I hear anybody making fun of the Israelites, I said, what makes you think you're not them? Just curious. I said, just think about it. <laughs> we, can, um, this, we can continue this next week, but just go ahead. I always wanted you to take a step back. You see any parallels between you and them? <laughs> we'll leave 100%. that right there. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> so what advice would you give to someone who's looking to go overseas and take a mission trip? What would you say to them? If they just want to take a mission trip, I would say anybody can go. We'd say you need to read that book before you go, that devotion. I wish I could remember who has it. It's in my office, but because it kind of humbles you a little bit before you go over and start saying things you shouldn't say in countries that you shouldn't say them in. I would also say, just make sure you open your heart and your mind and be prepared because you will not come back the same. Mission trips change people completely, which is another reason that our choir tour was so powerful because it was like a reverse mission trip. We came to you and that's why people's lives were changed so much. I think everybody should do it. I wish that it was a requirement in middle school probably sixth, maybe seventh grade, probably seventh or eighth grade would be the time to do it. Oh, and if you, and I would, you should take your, we, everything we did revolved around our family. The first time we went, we took all five of our kids. So you need to take your kids. And if you're not going to take your kid, I don't want to take my kids. They might get sick. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine. You need to be doing missions work, mission work with them here for our, when we deliver the meals for the 5,000 in here in America, I tell everybody, bring your kids. They need to see it. It will change their lives from an early age. They need to know that everybody's not opening up iPads and Jordans and every parent doesn't spend $10,000 on their kid for Christmas. They need to see. And a lot of times when kids come and deliver at Thanksgiving, they're seeing kids that they're in school with. There is a suburban poverty level in America of kids 
whose parents are working, but they still can't, they're sleeping in their car at Walmart at night because there's no affordable housing for them to be in, even if they're, even if they are working. So my advice for missions, whether it's here locally or, or abroad, go, go and take your kids because it will change your life forever. For a while, you come back and you end up becoming decent. I remember the first time we went, I was like, I bet you girls, because they had to carry a five gallon bucket of water on their head for two miles to be able to do the dishes at one of the places that we stayed. And I said, I bet you kids will never complain about unloading the dishwasher again at home. They did complain after a while, (laughs) (laughs) but at least it changes them for a while. And you have a reference point to to pull back. Another cool thing we had, uh, we worked closely with Adventures and Missions, which is Mm -hmm. like a 12 or a 13 month trip. Kids end up raising tons and tons of money and they go to different countries. If they had that when I was in college, I wish I had done that because it it'll it changes your perspective. Everybody doesn't live the way you live. Some people don't have the option for ranch dressing or Caesar or <laughs> they just I know I always go back to salad dressings, but it's a whole nother it's a big world out there. Is it hard to sometimes come home after a missions trip like you see? what these other countries don't have. You come back here and they see how blessed and fortunate we are to be in America. Is it sometimes hard to come back home? Do you want to rush back? Like how, what's that experience like for you? I think the most difficult thing when I come home from Haiti is to go to church. I hate church in America when I come back because I, I've just come from a country where people are carrying their chairs to be able to attend, where they'll stay for hours to worship the Lord in a way that uh, people who have nothing so they have nothing, and yet they're there worshiping God in a way that, and then I come back to church on Sunday, and I see somebody sitting there like this, or not singing, or not worshiping, or there's a heaviness in the, the church. I, I, that That's my biggest, never, it's difficult. I don't mind going and speaking somewhere when I come back to share about the experience, but if I'm just going and sitting, it can sometimes be stifling to to watch a well it's just a non-holy spirit filled experience we have lights and smoke and cameras and it's a hollywood experience to go to church here in america but there's no holy spirit in a lot of those places and then you're on a dirt floor with no chair and you've got people who are worshiping and praying earnestly to their father you it's difficult it's difficult for me to buy a bottle of water because I, I gauge everything on you're at the airport and there's a bottle of water and it's six dollars and you realize that you're some of your best friends in Haiti are making a third of that for their daily salary. I gauge everything on that. My kids get tired of hearing me say that. And our pastors make 50 bucks a month. Merlanda wanted a pair of Jordans for Christmas, which we don't do Christmas gifts. But she said, I would really love to get a pair of Jordans. And I was like, how much are they? And she looked it up and I can't remember now. I think it was 150 bucks. And I was like, oh, you could also pay three pastors salary in Haiti. Oh, mommy, Linda. So it affects you when you're running the ministry and you're dealing with the funding of it. It affects you. This interview has sparked up another 35 questions that I have for you, (laughs) but I'm not going to do that. I'm Instead, I'm just going to have you back to answer those 35 questions. But this does bring me to our Let Them Know segment. This is our final segment of the podcast. This is where you can share anything you like with the audience, whether it be a Bible verse, an upcoming speaking engagement you have, a book that's coming out, anything that you would like to share, please let them know. So I would say, first of all, I want everyone to require evangelists. If you are at a point in your life where you don't have enough faith, 
And God's told us that with faith, the size of a mustard seed, that we can move a mountain. If you've got mountains in your life that you're not moving, it all comes down to your faith. So grab this book, Choir of Angels. It's on Amazon. It's on our website. It's everywhere. And you can walk through my faith walk. And my prayer is that your faith will be increased by reading these insane stories the same way that my faith was increased by living them out. So Choir of Angels is the book that I'm promoting right now. 100% recommend it. Every single person that picks it up tells me that they read it in one sitting because they are on the edge of their seat. It's got a, oh, look, there's the picture of the voodoo priest I led to the Lord, along with the demon that is coming right out of the fire. You can see the picture of the demon as it's burning. It's got great pictures in there. And then you can be on the lookout by the time this airs, our probably our new book will be out called Miracles with Mommy Linda, but I would require of angels first just so you can walk through that. And my goal is that what happened to me will happen to you, which was exactly why we brought the choir. That when I was sitting on that urine stained day bed, my life was changed forever. That's why we brought the choir. And that's what happened in each one of the 875 venues we were in. People's lives were changed forever. So trust me when I say this. Matter of fact, if you get the book and you don't like it, tell me and I'll give you your money back. Okay. And I'd also like to encourage you to go to our website, lovehimloveth.org, or even more importantly, probably our YouTube channel. Our YouTube channel is where you get all of the juicy information about miracles that are occurring and also just some really firm, basic teaching about what the Bible says. Those would be my those would be my two things I'd want to encourage you on. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for everything you shared. Thank you for your just your honesty and your transparency and just your openness to share your testimony. I really do appreciate that. Like I said, our testimony is for someone else. I think that's blessing someone who's listening today. So I have one more thing I'm going to ask you to do. If you could pray us out, I would absolutely appreciate that. 100%. Father, in the name of Jesus, you isn't it funny, Father? Just you, <laughs> everything is so small from where you see it. And to think that we've just shown how small this world is. Lord, my prayer right now is the same way that I've asked you to place angels. You've told us that angels are ministering spirits to the same way I've asked you to place angels around every single one of our locations in Haiti. I'm going to ask you today, Father, that if there's someone listening that needs an intervention in their life, God, you did it over and over. You sent an angel of the Lord. Even when we were just, we just went through Christmas, you sent an angel to Mary, you sent an angel to Joseph. I would pray that you would send an angel that would scare, that would scare, that would scare an intervention into someone's life. Every angel that came, they had to say, fear not first. So somebody that is listening, that's what is this miracle story? What is this faith? But God, that someone who is listening, that whatever it is that is bothering them today, that you would show them you've got a plan for their life. You do have a plan. I'm living out that plan. You've got a plan to prosper us, to success, for us to be a success. Father, I pray for Eric's ministry to be a success, for this nonprofit he's working on, for the this podcast that he has. But Lord, even more importantly, for people who are listening that are not living the life that they need to live. If there's someone today, Father, that is living in unforgiveness or bitterness, something that is blocking their prayers, that you're not hearing them, I want to intervene today and pray for them. That God, you would just speak to them clearly through the Holy Spirit, through an angel of the Lord, through whatever means you need to a dream, a vision, and that they would get on track, on your track, because you've got such powerful, amazing things that you want to do in them and through them. And I hate to think that someone would be missing out on that opportunity. God, just bless people today. Show them 
that really and truly the most important thing they need to do is to love you and to love them. It is in your precious son's name, really the name, the only name that we even need to speak. And that is the name of Jesus Christ that we ask these things. Amen. And Lord, I just want to lift up Linda and her ministry to you now, Father. I just thank you for everything you're doing in her and through her. Lord, I just pray that you just continue to give her eyes to see and ears to hear. Continue to show her what doors that you just want her to walk through, Father. And I just thank you for her. Yes. And I just thank you for the power of her testimony, Lord. And Father, I just thank you for the testimony that's going to come from everything that she's doing and all those she's affecting, Lord. We just pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. I look forward to getting you back on here because like I said, I think now I have another hundred questions to ask you. So I'm looking forward to getting you back. (laughs) Okay. Sounds great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. 